Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Esoteric Gladiator Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Lipsy, and today I'm joined by a special friend, author, conspiracy theorist, occultist, and all-around good guy, animal lover, and uh, his name is Esoteric Eddie. What up, what up? Glad to be here. Yeah, anytime we can get the Esoteric Gladiator and the Esoteric Eddie together, it's a good time. And a, a good exchange of information. Absolutely, man. The EEs. So we're, so we're here in uh, Arizona, and my, mo- my mom lives about an hour away from Eddie, so um, I hit him up, and and he's like, come over, so I came over, and... And we're eating dried mangoes and shooting the shit. And um, he just had a, a book come out. What was the name of your book? The Anunnaki Theorem. And I think we talked about that the last time you were on. You were still in the process of writing that, right? Yeah, dang. That was like early 2022. I was at... Uh, it was about a year ago, huh? Almost. Yeah. yeah, we were at Annie Hardy's house. Yeah. We from, did an interview on her couch. Yeah, Empath of Least Resistance. So... I think we talked about it the last podcast, but I had tracked you down after I heard you on Tinfoil Hat Podcast and like got a hold of you within two days of hearing that podcast because I was so blown away by a lot of the information that you had and the way that you you know, just put everything together. And I was in San Diego and Carlsbad and you were, where were you at again? Uh, Escondido. Escondido in San Diego. And it just, it was so insane. I was like, oh, shut the fuck up. You're in San Diego. And I was like, I just reached out hopefully to do a freaking podcast. And I was like, dude, what's up? I'll meet you in person. And then we met at a library. Yep. Place of knowledge, man. But the recording, we did it on my iPad and I had never really recorded one. And the recording was shit. And so a couple weeks later, I found out he was down the street at my friend Annie Hardy's from my mom's house. And, you know, which was a couple hours out of San Diego. And I just... I I did a I did a crash journalism and he agreed to uh to try and record again with me and we talked about your your book that you just put out. Yeah, yeah, at that time I was still writing it. I just dropped it. Shit. I, when did I drop? I dropped it um oh last September, September okay. of 2022. It's the Anunnaki theorem. Yeah. Yeah, so it's actually a rewrite of the first book I ever wrote. The first book I ever wrote was the Anunnaki Theorem. Published it back in 2018, but the first version was shit. It's terrible. Um, so I shelved that, dropped my other book, The Lucifer Mystery Revealed. And then after that, I had good success. So I was like, you know what? Let me go back and rewrite my first book and do that justice. So I went back, gutted the entire thing, and pretty much wrote an entire new book. It was like two or three times bigger than the original one. And had How it, many pages is it? It's in the 300s. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I had it professionally edited this time and everything. So, yeah, man, it's rock and roll, and it's, it's, it's been uh, doing good. And uh, do you want to uh, go into a little bit about... Anytime I can, like... Uh, I've had you, and then I had a, a female friend of mine who I used to tattoo in Washington. She knew a lot about the Anunnaki as well, um, or the Ananu, or what, what, the Watchers, the, the, the Nephilim, the Giants, whatever you know, the different interpretations of... But anytime I can talk about them, it's always... I'm always fascinated by that stuff. Yeah, same here, dude. Like, that's been a huge part of my uh, esoteric journey, my scholarship. That was, like, one of the main subjects that got me interested into all of this because I grew up in a religious family. And so when I came across Zechariah Sitchin and all that stuff, it just... It fascinated me because it added so much more depth to the Bible and to ancient history. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff. And, and so I was just fascinated by it and kept it going. And when I first got into it, you know, I was a Sitchin fanboy. I kind of like took everything he said um, as face value. But as I aged and started to look at some other information and look at his information critically, uh, my thoughts changed on him and his work. Still mm-hmm. respect, you know, what it did for the community. And yeah, the, the world. 12th Planet was an incredible book. I read it about eight years ago. Yeah, same here. Yeah, man. Yeah, the, the work that he did is definitely unprecedented and, and can, can't be matched, you know what I mean, for sure. But um, 
Yeah, so when I wrote... Set, but it set, seemed like he may have been operating for different... Uh, yeah, he had his Potentially biases. different entities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he had his biases and his flaws. And I kind of... When I wrote this book, The Anunnaki Theorem, I decided to not really rely on him at all and to just look at the information for myself. And I, so I arose at a different conclusion than he did. Um, but yeah, we can get into it if you, if you like, for real. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, um, man, it's been I mean, a- do you, do you feel like talking? Cause I know you're, <laughs> you're, you got people just hammering you all the time. Sure. If you want to talk about something else, we can. I just, you know, like, cause I know you have to talk, you talk about this on a lot of fucking podcasts because we've yeah. talked off air. So yeah. if you, you don't have to, we can talk about whatever the fuck you want, bro. Yeah, no, I'm down to like just give a quick uh, summary. I'm only hesitant because I actually haven't talked about it in a while because I took a break from doing interviews. Yeah. Um, so I haven't done the presentation in a while. So a lot of the information, a lot of the very fine details are kind of lost right now. And I usually have like my laptop with all the notes and shit. But some of the bigger points are still... We can pause it if you want. Um, no, it's all good. Some of the more bigger points are still, okay, still cool. fresh, fresh in my mind. So, okay. <clears throat> So, of course, we know that the Sumerian civilization is the oldest sophisticated civilization um, according to our modern timeline. And that's a lot to unpack there because um, there's so many different ways to view it and stuff. So I say the most um, the oldest sophisticated civilization of our modern timeline because our modern timeline goes back about 6,000 years. Mm-hmm. And I say sophisticated because there are evidences of other civilizations just as old as them or even older than them, but they weren't as sophisticated. Mm-hmm. We're talking government, schools, domestication. Language, um, language, writing. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, the Sumerian civilization could, could marvel or uh, what's the word, match any you know, basic civilization of today, pretty mm-hmm. much. You know, if, if, and in some cases, even be of higher prestige. So the Sumerians are, are the oldest sophisticated civilization. And what's interesting about them is that they also hold some of the world's oldest uh, written text. That's for sure. They actually have, they hold the the world's oldest written text. And when we study what they say, it's very fascinating and weird. It's more weird than anything. So one of the oldest known texts to us right now is the Enki and the World World Order text. And um, the other one's escaping my mind right now. But it's the Enki and the World Order text, and then this other one that's that's mentioned in my book, and and uh, the Enki and the World Order text, which is about, man, it's basically four thousand years old, maybe more. All it's telling us is is, is describing these gods or these beings, um, constructing civilization, in a very, in a very uh, humanistic way. It's like the the god Enki is domesticating the farm animals he's putting together buildings and he's also um, assigning different gods to different positions and orders within civilization and society so when we actually read the text we don't really read these fanatical texts of flying gods with spaceships and and who have magical powers we read these very humanistic texts these anthropomorphic texts of these beings who are constructing society and um, the Sumerian civilization itself uh, went through a lot of tragedy. They were never a unified uh, kingdom. They were actually city-states, a bunch of different city-states. And each city-state had its own ruler. And so they were kind of just like gangs, you know, or different sections. Similar and, to the way shit's going today. Exactly. And so they would, they would all rise up and try to take the crown. It was like capture the flag just throughout the okay. whole entire Sumerian history. And each city had its own Anunnaki deity that it would use to justify, you know, the wars and the battles. But because of that, they were they were vulnerable, and because of that lack of unification, um, they were overtaken by the the Akkadians, and then eventually the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and then the Sumerians just disappeared altogether. And then um, the New World of the Babylonian New World Empire eventually took over. But um, with the Sumerians, we had polytheism. You know, they believed in all these different gods. And um, eventually, all of that formulated into monotheism. Monotheism, with the Abrahamic religions, right? Exactly. And then I cover that in my book. 
And uh, what's interesting is when we pause to really look at the, the modern timeline, which is 6,000 years old, you know, 6,000 years, for more than half of that time, we were worshiping the Anunnaki. It's only been about 2,000 years that we've kind of forgotten them. And moved Since like to... the AD phase. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Anno Domini. Is that what yep. that is? Anno Domini, year of the Lord, right? They say... So for most of our human existence, we've actually been worshiping these gods, these Anunnaki beings. And so it was a slow process that, that caused them to be phased out. And um, the Bible speaks on this, you know, if you can read between the lines. So the Bible tells us that the first time God revealed himself to be Yahweh was to Moses. And the Bible says that this occurred when Moses was wandering in the Sinai Peninsula. He asked, Moses asked him, you know, who are you? Who, who should I tell my people you are? And he said, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. So that was the very first time God revealed his identity to us. And interestingly, when we corroborate that with uh, actual history, actual um, historical finds, we learn, as I point in my book, that some of the oldest mentions of Yahweh you know, that preceded the Bible, preceded Israelite history, um, going back to like the 800 BC. So like 300, about 300 years before the Bible was even put together. We find the mention of Yahweh in the Sinai desert. There are inscriptions of Yahweh in the Sinai desert, but he's not mentioned as a monotheistic God. He's mentioned as a polytheistic God standing side by side by his female consort, Asherah. And uh, these people who were worshiping Yahweh in the Sinai Desert are known as the Shasu. And they are corroborated by Egyptian texts. They were actually captured and enslaved by the Egyptians. Mm. So there's a lot of corroborating e uh, evidences and histories with the Bible and actual history uh, with these wandering Israelite people wa worshiping Yahweh and stuff like that. But there are some other interesting things that are said in the Bible that point to the Anunnaki. So uh, Yahweh tells us throughout the Bible in different books um, that the fathers of Abraham used to worship different gods. Yahweh tells us, I think it's in Jeremiah or Jacob, that, you know, your fathers used to worship other gods and they knew me as El Shaddai. Now, El Shaddai is actually an old Canaanite god and the Canaanite gods belong to a pantheon that were similar to the Anunnaki gods. Mm -hmm. so, it was, uh, so it was with Abraham that monotheism started to form, and then it was with Moses that that monotheistic God revealed itself to be Yahweh. But Yahweh himself admits that there used to be other gods and that, people, that the people before Abraham used to worship these other gods. And it's obvious in that whole thing where God is a jealous God. Yes, I was just about to say, Yahweh, God, the old God of the Old Testament was a jealous God. But yeah. it, but even in like in the the Jewish text, it was the Elohim. Exactly. So plural for God. I mentioned that in my book too. So and that's that's the very first hint and instance that we see uh, this history hidden in the Bible. So in Genesis, which is the first book of the Old Testament. Specifically, Genesis one twenty six, when man is being created, the statement is is uh, said as, um, and then uh, the Elohim, or created man in their image after their likeness, and we've translated that in the English to say, and then God made man in his in their image after their likeness. Um, so there's still plurality there in the English text. And the reason the plurality is there is because the word originally used wasn't God, but it was Elohim. Um, sorry, the actual text or the actual verses. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Mm -hmm. And so that's in any English version. And so if you talk to a priest or something and you ask them, hey, why is there a plurality there? He's going to tell you some BS like, oh, it's because he was talking to Jesus. Yeah. Or something or some weird yeah. thing. But the actual historical truth is the reason the plurality is there is because the word that was used instead of God was Elohim. And Elohim is a plural word, meaning the powerful ones, basically, because El means powerful. And Im, I am, is, is plurality, like cherubim and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So Elohim is, means the powerful ones. 
What does cherubim mean again? Is that the, that's the angels? Yeah, angels. They're a certain type of angels. Yeah. Um, so there, you, there it is, right in the first book, is, is the, that, hidden <clears throat> that hidden history. And to us, it might seem very conspiratorial and crazy and unbelievable, but to the writers of the Bible who wrote it and put it together in 600 B.C., that was their history. Those were their ancestors. You know, the, the ancestors of the Babylonians and the Hebrews uh, were, were the Assyrians, Akkadians, and Sumerians. So it was natural for them to remember and know about that history. But over time, that history was, was hidden and, and, and uh, you know, under the sands of time, just the sheer fact of de deterioration and, and all these wars and craziness. But we rediscovered this history in the 1800s. In the 1800s, we uncovered Sumeria through the sands of time and started to corroborate all this stuff and rediscover all this information. Um, now, how monotheism came about was kind of a weird sort of conspiratorial plot. And the, again, the Bible tells us this, but we don't tend to really read between the lines. So in the Bible, um, well, actually, let's go to history first. So the... Babylonians descended upon the Middle East and they took over the Assyrian and Sumerian and Akkadian areas and subsequently the Israelite areas as well. And so the Babylonians took the, the Jewish uh, people into captivity. But actually when they did that, they didn't take most of the laymen or most of the folk, the, the regular people. Whenever the Babylonians would come and take people into captivity, they would take the elite. So the Babylonians came and took the Jewish elite into captivity. Was uh, King Nebuchadnezzar Babylonian? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the Babylonians took the, uh, the, the Jews into captivity um, sometime around like 580 B.C., around then, if I'm uh, remembering that correctly. And so when they took them into captivity, or before they took them into captivity... They weren't unified. There was a northern uh, Israel and a southern Israel. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't unified, and they were actually falling back into their <clears throat> polytheistic ways. And this is told in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that in those times, the people worshipped uh, gods like there were um, the, the, the amount of streets. Mm -hmm. He said the amount of gods the people worship are the same amount that there are streets saying that there's just people just running rampant, just worshiping this God and that God left and right. So there was no, they were starting to lose their monotheistic ways and, and all that stuff and retreat back into the ways of their ancestors, which was the worship of the Anunnaki. So when the Babylonians took them into captivity, that was a hard lesson in history. They were like, well, damn, dude, we're like, we're going to lose our ethnicity. We're going to lose our people. We're going to lose our history and everything. So during that time, is when the Bible was put together during the Babylonian captivity. And it's crucial because um, there's a lot of... Uh, How many years ago was that? What was uh, that? So that was around, around 600 BC. Okay. So we're talking about two, over 2,000 years ago. Okay. 2,500. So um, during that time, there was a lot of influences going into the Bible. You know, there was the Babylonian elite that were influencing it. So there was a lot of Canaanite mythology going into it. And then after the Babylonians freed the Jews, or sorry, the Babylonians didn't free them. After the Babylonians were taken over by the Persians, and the Persians then freed them, then there was a lot of Persian influence. And during that time, the Persian Empire was Zoroastrian. So that's why we started to see a lot of Zoroastrian influence with uh, the end times narrative, the um, good versus evil narrative, the Messiah narrative, mm -hmm. and the return of the Messiah. All of that stuff came from Zoroastrianism. But in the Bible, we are told that once the Persians took over and were tolerant towards the Jewish people, um, it was King Cyrus and also a later king who commissioned Ezra and Nehemiah, the two prophets, Ezra and Nehemiah, to go back to Israel and give their people, give their people a new book and a new law that would be in accordance with the Persian kingdom. It was a genius way of ruling the vast kingdom. So Cyrus and his people came up with this new genius way of, of, how, of how to rule such a vast kingdom with such differing cultures and pop, populations. Instead of being ruling with an iron fist and saying, you guys have to be Zoroastrians, you have to run our way. They came up with the idea of allowing each city-state to have their own religion and their own government, but that government stay loyal with an accordance to the overall Persian kingdom.
So the Persian kingdom, how did that work out? <laughs> <laughs> Not too good, man. <laughs> but we'll get into that a yeah. little bit. So the Bible tells us that the Persian kings, you know, commissioned Ezra and Nehemiah to go back to Israel and say, "Look, you guys can go back. You guys can take care of your people. You can worship whatever god you want, as long as the rules don't violate our laws." So Ezra and Nehemiah went back to Israel with the Torah. They went back with the Torah. And, you know, back into this tumultuous polytheistic climate and said, look, we need to stop all of this and we need to go back into monotheism so that we can be unified people so that we don't lose our footing again when somebody wants to come and, you know, try and put us into captivity. So monotheism was brought about by uh, this era simply to unify the people into a one government, one religion system. It was an easy way of controlling the Jewish people and just saying, let's just do away with the old Anunnaki stuff and let's just focus on one dude and his name's going to be Yahweh. Wow. All right, guys. So me and Eddie have a strange history of technical difficulties with recordings and audio and all types of Things like that. And we just recorded for 29 minutes and lost the uh, audio file. But uh, Eddie has kindly agreed to uh, do it again. <laughs> no worries, man. Just happy to be here, man. You know? we, we recorded a video on, was it the Esoteric Eddie TV? Yeah. And lost like 20 minute audio of that too. Yeah. Yeah. My, my equipment's... You got a history of giving me problems. But now, nah, no worries, man. We'll pick it right back up. So, uh, I think in the last segment, I was explaining how monotheism, monotheism came about. Yeah. So, basically, monotheism, according to the Bible, came about after the Babylonian captivity. And the reason it came about was basically just to organize and structure the uh, Jewish people into a monotheistic, you know, one government one religion system it was a way to to easily control the populace and that blueprint would be followed in christianity you know because in the christian world or the pre-christian world of the west you know you had the gods of the of the greeks and you had the roman gods and then jesus came and then the roman empire did the same thing realized well hey if we just do away with all of these gods and all of these crazy different systems and just unify it into a one world religion, one world government, it would be a lot easier to control everybody. So monotheism was brought about as a system of control. And monotheism was based on the Anunnaki gods. As I've presented, you know, the Bible tells us that Abraham's father worshipped other gods. So if Abraham is the the father of the three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, and he's only one generation apart from the worship of the Anunnaki, yeah. it's like we're not that disconnected from it. You know, so it's not like the Anunnaki and these gods, you know, weren't important or didn't exist. They were the very center of religious life for more than uh, most of, of the human existence. So monotheism... Well, up until you said about... 600 BC for the Jewish so like people. So 2,500 years ago? Yeah, about 2,500 years out of 6,000 years. You know, so monotheism was brought about just to control people, easily control people, and that blueprint was followed. Um, but <clears throat> my conclusion with the Anunnaki that I get into my book is that, you know, for one, they were anthropomorphized in the text. So when we actually sit down and read the text we see that they are these, these humanistic, these humanoid beings who are going about building society, building structures, um, arranging different things in society, domesticating the land. And there's a specific text, one of the, the, the oldest texts known to us, uh, called the Kesh Temple Hymn. And in that text is very strange when we read it. So in the Kesh Temple Hymn, we see the different gods, again, reconstructing society, and then out of nowhere, there's this strange mention of these nomadic people. And it says in the text that Enki, the god Enki, gave the nomadic people um, some help, some resource. 
So if we pause and look at that and see how strange that is, we start to realize who these beings really were. So here we have the gods, right? The supposed gods, the Anunnaki, who were supposed to be the creators of mankind, the creators of the world or whatever. And here they are just doing mundane societal construction. And then there's this strange group of nomads off to the side who are basically destitute, who get hooked up with some resource. So what that tells me is that these Anunnaki gods weren't creating civilization and, and society. They were reconstructing civilization and society. And these nomadic people who needed help were survivors of the very same cataclysm that these gods survived. And so I think that the Anunnaki, based on all the evidence that, I've, that I present in my book, um, they were humanoid, but they weren't humans. We homo sapiens are humans. Um, but we're an admixture of their genetics and, and the genetics of some, some, some other humanoid being. And the Anunnaki, by definition, are not human. They are a more pure breed of whatever humanoid offspring they came from. And I believe that they are from this planet and that they survived the cataclysm. And after that cataclysm, they were wise enough and ingenious enough to rewrite themselves into history as the gods. Boom. And like how you were talking about how um, they were trying to rebuild, like we talked about in the, the lost recordings, you know, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls of our audio, uh, how uh, doesn't in Genesis it talk about like um, repopulating uh, the earth? Which Genesis would be like because of the Elohim, yeah. Which means plural, which means gods like Anunnaki's, right? Yeah. That would be the Elohim reappearing and saying, "Let us repopulate the earth," right? Yeah. So there's a theory um, in in theology, and Jordan Maxwell brought this up a lot. And so there's this theory uh, within like the theological circles that you can you can translate the Bible as saying. Um, God said to man, go and repopulate the earth. So instead of saying go and populate the earth, apparently the, the Hebrew can be translated as go and repopulate the earth. So there's an idea, you know, going into this theory that when God came in the Bible, he was looking upon a destroyed world and was rebuilding and telling his, his new creation to go and repopulate and restart and that coincides with basically what the Anunnaki were doing in these these ancient texts. Yeah, and then and did we did we talk about the Elohim in the first one, or was did we talk about the Elohim in the second one? I don't remember the, Elo the Elohim because it's just brief. Anyways, we'll touch yeah. on it again. Uh, the Elohim is plural for 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 the powerful ones. Yeah, let us build man in our image. Yeah, yeah, in Genesis 1:26. Now, if you got a Bible near you or or Google, go to Genesis 1:26. Any English version will will read and God said, "Let us make man in our image after our likeness." And again, the plurality is there not because God was speaking to Jesus, but because the word originally used was Elohim, which is a plural Hebrew word which means the powerful ones. So the powerful ones were speaking amongst themselves uh, and, and deciding to create us. And again, the, the Hebrew writers, their ancestors were the Babylonians, were the Assyrians, were the Akkadians, and were the Sumerians. They were a part of that lineage. They were the last of that lineage, the last of that dying breed. And so they understood that history. They knew that history. The Sumerian epics were, were history to them. It, it would be like us reading... Um, you know, the, the Greek epics or something or, or some stuff from the middle, the medieval times, you know, they weren't that far disconnected from it. Now, do you know, um, do you know about like the book of Enoch? Oh, yeah. So check it out. My friend Cosmic Peach. I don't know if you ever heard Cosmic Peach. Uh, I've heard of, I've heard of her. Yeah. Super cool chick. She does really cool. And she's really fun to listen to because she's really, I don't know, she's just silly and yeah, really yeah. cool. Uh, she's part of the community. I've seen, I've seen her stuff around. Yeah. Um, but, um, she, uh, was talking about the book of Enoch and she just did a, 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 um, like a three or four part series on the Nephilim and Raphaim and, and the giants and the watchers. Right. Yeah. And she was saying how, like, they always make you believe that the book of Enoch came from like 
the the Adamic side or like the not the Adamic the um the like Noah side because I think yeah. like there was an Enoch related to Noah and then there was an Enoch which was the son of Cain. Yeah. I believe. There's two Enochs. Yeah, and they always make it sound like that it was the Enoch from Noah, but she believes that it was the Enoch the book of Enoch was written by the son of Cain because it glorifies the the watchers, the Nephilim, the the you know Yeah. Yeah, it's just the, the Nephilims would be like the descendants of the Anunna, right? The Anunnaki. Or would they be the Anunnaki? Would the Watchers be the Anunnaki? Well, the Nephilim, according to the, the Bible and the Book of Enoch, the Nephilim are the offspring of the fallen angels and us. So they're, they're a whole different thing. So okay, so they're like... There's the, the, the Anunnaki, then there's us, then, the, then there's the fallen angels. Yeah. And giants. Yeah, well, some would even say the Anunnaki are the fallen angels. You know, but okay, so if we're going yeah. to take it from a biblical perspective, which is like the simple perspective. Yeah. Um, there are the angels, and then there's the fallen angels, and then there's us. And the fallen angels mated with us and then created the Nephilim, which became the kings of the earth. Yeah, the, the men of renown. Yeah. So, uh, like, for example, Nimrod would have been a Nephilim. You know, which is pretty wild to think, you know, but, and that's where I think we spoke about this in the, uh, the lost recording, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls recordings. Yeah. Uh, so the bloodlines throughout the earth. So all these like Illuminati bloodlines, RH negative bloodlines, you know, uh, those are probably the Nephilim bloodlines because that was a, a, a small percentage of people, you know, the, the fallen angels only mated with a certain, a certain number of people. And then, of course, according to the Bible, God flooded the entire earth to kill off all of us, including them. And if you go back and read Genesis 6, God doesn't flood the earth because we're being bad, per se. He actually, one of the main reasons he does it is to try and kill off the Nephilim. Because um, they're being bad. <laughs> exactly. And the Bible tells you that the, the Nephilim or the giants, whatever, were in those days and those days after that's the important part most people forget. Yeah. The Bible tells they us. They lived. Yeah. Some of them lived through the flood. Yep. Yeah, but the book of Enoch, the whole two Enochs, I, I like that theory. I don't personally know how much they're, uh, how much of it is true. I mean, I know there's two Enochs, and one of them is of the Cain line, and one is of the Seth line. But if I, I were to say that the book of Enoch was written by the Seth Enoch, the, the good Enoch. Because if you read it, he actually, he doesn't... Um, he doesn't, uh, what's the word? Glorify. Glorify, yeah. He doesn't glorify the fallen angels. Actually, he's chosen by the archangels, um, like Michael and Gabriel, to go and like basically talk shit to the fallen angels. And, and that's why the fallen angels don't like him. And he's actually, in, in the book of Enoch, and in some, of, in some like Kabbalistic uh, circles and teachings, Enoch is, is uh, transformed into Metatron. And he's also known as the Lesser Yahweh. And uh, the Hebrew priest in, in actual history didn't really like that. So they started to kind of get away from that whole Metatron thing. Because it's like, how can we have two Yahwehs now? You know, so they came up with this other story later on after the book of Enoch. Where there's this, there's this story where um, Metatron gets whipped in heaven by Yahweh in front of all the angels. To show like, no, there's only one Yahweh. <laughs> So, uh, but it's all like these, these, like these weird theological, um, like legends and, and myths and stuff within the bigger biblical story. But, um, yeah, I don't know. To me, when I read the book of Enoch, it's, it's, it feels like it's coming from the Seth line because the fallen angels are, are visibly, um, chained up and, and, and prophesied against and told that they will meet their fate in the end by the uh, Messiah. And when you when you read that, do you believe that that's like the Messiah that would be a humanoid or a celestial? I think it'd be like a celestial man. So you be, you believe that that would be a celestial? The, the Messiah? you personally, I'm asking, not not what they, <clears throat> not what they record, because according to them, yeah, that is celestial. But I'm yeah. saying you personally, what do you believe? Like what? So what's the question? What what do I think the the Messiah is going to be? Do you do you so do you? Somewhat like, cause I 
believe that there is a, a most high creator, right? Yeah. I believe that, that Christ, whether his real name was Christ or not, Jesus, you know, Jesus, yeah. whatever. Yeah. That, that, uh, yeah, he, he probably, that probably wasn't his name. Uh, but that if there was a, uh, 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 where God appeared as a man in the flesh, Christ was probably that being. If, uh, you know, and yeah. the only reason why I say if, and I know this offends Christians is, is, uh, you know, anything popularized in this culture is tainted, you know, and, and most of it's corrupted, right? Like, and that includes, in my view, the Bible, which is like, it's so popular, right? Like, w- yeah. w- can we name one thing in our culture that isn't corrupted at this point that's that fucking popular? And that's not to say that the Bible doesn't hold truth or that Christ wasn't God. I'm just mm. throwing things out there from what I know of our species and this current time. But if I was to interpret like Christ, that would be the closest thing to God appearing in the flesh in a man's body would be Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two things. Actually, I just remembered. So going back real quick to the, the two Enochs. So I think the evil Enoch that most people are referring to is the Enoch that the Freemasons talk about. Because the Freemasons do glorify an Enoch, but I think that's the evil Enoch. That has to be Cain's Enoch, dude. Oh yeah, for sure, because the Freemasons, they follow the Canaanite line. Yeah. You know, that's that the Canaanite line in the Bible is, is where the actual Masons came from, like actual masonry work and stuff like that. So I think the evil Enoch has to do with the Freemasons Enoch. And the good Enoch is the actual Enoch in the book of Enoch. Um, but uh, to answer your question, man, I mean, yeah, of course the Messiah is going to be celestial, man. You know what I mean? Like, when we're just chilling here, like, we think that we're American citizens, you know? Like, yeah. oh, I'm an American citizen. It's yeah. like, nah, bro. Like, we are humans on this, like, on this flat earth, you know? If Cosmic, you like, eternal soul travelers. Yeah, dude. Like, this this is this life is way crazier than just American citizens. So, yeah, dude, the, the Messiah is, like, more than celestial, dude. It's, like, transcending all simulation. So, like, when I got really deep into meditation about 12 years ago, like, fucking deep, uh, I started believing in reincarnation just naturally i didn't study anything about it and before that i thought oh that's interesting maybe but i didn't believe i didn't there's no Mm -hmm. and then over you know time i think it was like after three years of meditation i started like having like past life dreams and experiences and things like that and i was like man i i believe that we're reincarnated and somebody had like I don't remember who it was, but like, how fascinating is it that, you know, uh, you chose to show up as Jeremy, a fucking crazy traveling tattoo artist in this lifetime. And, you know, you showed up to be an occult author and plumber and, and mystic. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's like these lifetimes that we've been given and I don't know what you're in, in, uh, you're feeling on reincarnation is or anything like that but yeah well i think it's i think it's misunderstood and i used to misunderstand it um and i got most of my beliefs on reincarnation from a book called coming back to life by swami um man i was a hindu book yeah nice i always forget his they're on the level of some some amazing stuff yeah his name is swami ac um, something, and I know it sounds so ridiculous, but uh, I'm gonna try to look it up right now, dude. I tr- it's called what? Coming back to life. Coming back to life. Okay. Give me a quick second, because I try to remember his name the other day, because I don't want to be culturally insensitive. You know what I mean? Or even just yeah. insensitive to the guy, man, because he's like he deserves a lot of a uh, AC. I think it's Bhakti Vedanta. Yeah, there we go. Bhakti Vedanta. Bhakti Vedanta. Yeah, Swami Bhakti Vedanta. AC Bhakti Vedanta, and he's he's a whole character in himself. He's played a huge role in in uh, modern Hinduism and stuff like that. And and so his book, Coming Back to Life, is where I get my beliefs and understanding on reincarnation. And he teaches you in that book that reincarnation is not, uh, it's not a belief system. You know, it's a lot of people. A lot of Western people think that reincarnation is a belief system like heaven is or or like judaism is or yeah you know what i mean 
but but reincarnation is a cycle that we need to uh, a natural cycle yes. that we need to break out of. So he teaches that reincarnation is a cycle that we need to break out of because if you don't break out of it by clearing your karma, then you're gonna keep coming back, and you might not always come back as a human. Matter of fact, he teaches that if you are human. That that means you have already lived so many other lives as a plant and yeah. as an animal and probably other energies. And you have perfected all of those and gotten to the privileged point to be a human, which is the very last step before the next step, which is ascension. ascension. So he teaches that if you're a human, you have the privilege and opportunity to now break the karm the karmic cycle and break the reincarnation cycle and not come back, yeah. So that that's what, that's what I believe about reincarnation. Yeah, it was like look look at us as like our souls and stuff is like you know how like you know in the forest the leaves fall and then they compost on the ground and they feed the next season's sprouting of the leaves yeah. and flowers and like that's just kind of like how I how I view reincarnation too that like like you said like that. It went from like this, you know, yeah, maybe to like this uh, thing. It's like for me, though, like with everything, like I always say, like I have these ideas of things that I feel. But like, can I say reincarnation is for sure real? I cannot say that. Like I, I am humble enough to admit I don't know. I feel like it's absolutely real. Like exactly what you said, what... um. Bhaktivedanta? Yeah, Bhaktivedanta is, is like the most epic way to explain what reincarnation would be. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. Like when I look at like um, these politicians and, and these, you know, these corporations, and these people doing all this evil stuff. Um, I just feel like they're just going to, how they say, you're going to go to hell forever or eternity. It's like, no, you're, I don't believe that. I think you're going to go to hell for lifetimes, which is going to feel like an eternity. Yeah. Right? Like for yeah. every life you destroy or harm or victim you leave behind because you mm -hmm. decided you were going to bomb Iraq for the hundredth time, um, you know, Barack Obama, uh, and, you know, go out and smile and act virtuous because, you know, you fit the narrative of what, you know, the new popular woke culture wants. No, motherfucker, you're gonna probably for every life that you destroyed probably a couple million you may have to come back and serve penance in yeah. that car is what that's my yeah yeah well the karma is a part of the ideal part of the concept and uh according to bhaktivedanta you know we have to clear our karma and we have to break the cycle and um, if you don't break the cycle and, and clear your karma, you're going to come back. But you might not come back as a human. You know, you might come back as a slug or a rock or something. And then you might not, you're going to have to work through all those cycles that you already worked through to get to the point of being a human again. And the funny thing is talking about hell, right? Like in eternity. Well, there actually is no such thing as time. That's just uh, a, a program. So... If we were to go to some hell, if some if some divine judger were to put us in hell, it might t seem like a forever to us, like an eternity. We might actually feel the immense, inconceivable feeling of eternity in that hell. But the, the divine judger might be on the other side laughing because it's actually only a second. Yeah, in, 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 in the freaking eye of eternity, yeah. Yeah, and like DMT shows us Yeah, that, Yeah, dude. I was going to just say hallucinogens. Yeah. I mean, tell me, when you're on a hot one, tripping so hard, like, what did Terrence McKenna say? If you haven't questioned whether you've taken too much, you haven't taken enough. Yeah. When you're in that position where you're like, oh my God, maybe I took too much. Like, when you're in that spot, it feels like <laughs> yeah. time is standing still. Dude. Oh, dude, literally. I've had a, this one time, I was on shrooms when I was like 14 or something. Uh -huh. Just terrible night, dude. Terrible night for so many reasons. Ended up getting dropped back off of my house by my uh, my friend's stepdad who had like murder vibes. <laughs> like, it was oh, no. Terrible drive on the way back home. It was, but... I'm in my bed, like tossing and turning, like waiting for this trip to be over. And I keep looking at my clock and it, the, the time keeps jumping back and forth. 
I'm like like playing games with me, like it's never gonna end, fucker. And then at one point I look at the clock and it's just symbols. And I'm just like, no, dude, like I'm never gonna get out of this. Yeah. But dude, it's just it's the it's the divine comedy, man, of of time. It's like, yeah, you might feel hell, or you might feel heaven, but it's it's not really eternity. It's just a program set to that parameter and and the divine judger, the creator might interject in, in that heaven or in that hell and be like, all right, you've had enough. Go back to earth. There's some new lessons you got to learn. I mean, do you, like for me, like I, I hope, I pray, and I feel like when I look back at what I know about the experiences I've had with, you know, past life regressions or, or past life regressions through hallucinogens, past life regressions through the dream world, uh, past like regressions through meditation, uh, through experiences with other people that I just know I knew them before, right? Like the yeah. ins- the the click was instantaneous. Um, I feel like, and I hope um, that this is the lifetime of self actualization for myself. And do you know what I'm referring to? Oh yeah. And yeah. do do you feel? Because like I feel like, man, like. I've lived so many, even in just this one lifetime, I feel like I revisited so many past lives in this lifetime that it's me trying to like clear some type of karmic debt that I had in the past with love and prison and crime and violence and, you know, learning and spirituality and, yeah, you know? Yeah, a couple of things I got to say to that. Um... Number one, another teacher of mine, I guess, um, I was the word indirectly, is, is Yogananda. Okay. Yogananda. And um, he was one of two people who brought yoga to the United States mm-hmm. back in the 30s. Epic dude. And, and uh, yeah, just epic dude. He plays a huge role in my life when it comes to that kind of stuff. And he was a G, like a real ascended master, got to the point towards the end of his life where he would meditate for days on end and his heartbeat would stop. And his like uh, students would come and like make sure he's like still alive. And then he would come back out of nowhere and be like, I'm still here, I'm chilling, you know? And he actually left at will. He gave this speech and then left at will. And he always talked about life a is a movie. Conscious death. Well, he always talked about life is a movie and it's all just an illusion of light. There we go, a simulation. Yeah, he said it's all just light and shadows, and the point of the game or the light or the or the of life is to get to the source of the light, to the projector. So I know that ultimately what my goal is here is to get to that light, get back to the ascension, as you're saying. Um, and the other thing I was gonna say, damn, I think I forgot, but uh, karmic debt. You may pause it for a second. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we were talking about... Um, Reincarnation and self-actualized life. Yeah, and ascension. And, and, and so, <clears throat> here's something that I realized about this planet and this life. We all have to work, right? And we all have to work. Mm-hmm. We all have to pay to live to some certain extent. And I was thinking one day, like, why do we have to pay to live? Or more importantly... What are we paying for? We think that we're paying for our bills, for our water, for our gas, but it's bigger than that. We're paying for our karma. That's why life is so rough and so hard and so, um, you know, contentious here in this realm on this earth is because we're paying for something, something that we did or something that we all did. And that kind of plays into the idea that we are the fallen angels. Yeah, I've thought about that before. I've even said I think I'm a descendant of fallen angels and I'm trying to find the road back to redemption. Yeah, there's there's a theory or a concept within like Kabbalah or, or some more mystical Christianity that we are, all of us, we are the fallen angels. You know, we're looking through all these ancient records and, and all these TV shows and ancient aliens and all this stuff for the fallen angels and really when all along we are the fallen angels we are the ones who have fell in fell from our our divine state we just gotta face our fucking karma and work through it dude yeah 
Like we're always looking for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or this guy's going to save me or Kobe Bryant or the next hero. And it's like, dude, we're like we're sitting, now we're sitting here waiting for the politicians and the corporations that have destroyed environments all over the planet. We're waiting for them to present us with the new green deal that's going to save the planet. The deal is going to come from the same destructors of this lovely earth. And, and that's what we're supposed to trust. And then we have children that are so ignorant in this country that they believe it. It's, and it's really like we just got to face our, we are the harbingers of our karma. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to, to wrap it up. All right. Well, Eddie, you 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 have you you have a few more minutes to tell me about your, your the the new book you might be working on or yeah absolutely so I'm working on my third book uh, it should be out definitely April of 2023 um, it's about consciousness and the simulation be- hidden behind the fabric of reality it's going to present a lot of like in my usual fashion a lot of historical and scientific evidence for um, the idea. In fact, that consciousness actually is superior to physical matter. You know, the, the fact that it is consciousness that creates physicality and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I'm studying and I'm presenting in my book. And um, also towards the end of the book, kind of exposing what I call the reptilian brain network. Um, because we, we interface into this reality through consciousness. Collective consciousness. Exactly. But... We're still here toggling and interfacing in the physicality of it. And the physicality of it, which is the game, sets up the rules. So there are rules here. And the rules are also crudely governed by our bodies and our brains. And our brains have different dimensions as well. And hemispheres, Different hemispheres, different dimensions. And the reptilian part of our brain plays a very important role. And it can be used to hypnotize and to subjugate... Um, people through fear and so my book will also touch on the reptilian brain network and how to break out of that okay awesome well Eddie it's been a pleasure Uh, it's too bad we didn't freaking get that other section but this re-recording of it is uh, pretty good and um, yeah well right on bro thanks for coming on Uh, mind body spirit Love, healing, truth. Oh, you want to plug plug yourself real quick? Yeah, yeah. Instagram. No, it's all good. Uh, Instagram, Esoteric Eddie. I'm in here disrespecting this man <laughs> in his own home. My own house, man. Now you bought the mango, man. You're good, you're good. But uh, yeah, Instagram, Esoteric Eddie. YouTube, Esoteric Eddie TV. And uh, you can find my books and um, some merch at EsotericEddie.com. And uh, thank you for having me, homie. And thank you for everybody for listening. As always, it's a pleasure. Mind, body, spirit, love, healing, truth. We out.